Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Some people say about me when they look at me that I have a bee in my bonnet, bees in my bonnet about everything, and they look at me in mock pity with a brick in my hand wrenched back facing at the TV screen, Gillard and Abbott want to tow refugees back out to sea, and some people say I have a bee in my bonnet as if it's something wrong with me. They say, I have a bee in my bonnet because bees don't belong under bonnets, living organisms amongst machines, but perhaps, just maybe, my fucking car runs on the buzzing of bees. So, I took my bees, put them in my pocket, swarming around underneath, and people's eyes would gravitate to me, standing out, buzzing when everyone was so quiet around me. You would have to listen closely to find others, small groups sharing and exchanging noisy insects in metal pockets, making tiny swarms flying around the city. But now we realise it is not us collectors of bees that are the breeders. We are not the beekeepers or the honey takers, but it is those who we aim the buzzing bees. And then their gluttonous desire for more golden liquid, they're breeding more bees, filling our pockets not with the produce of bees, but empty raging hives, pushing up against our metal tops, and now it's not just me with a with a bee in my bonnet, and we've all got bricks wrenched back in front of things more real than TV screens, and we've come together a swarm of millions billions of bees, buzzing and suffocating greedy beekeepers who've kept the honey all to themselves for far too long. You're on Community Radio 3CR. This is the Spoken Word Program, and I am Santo Katsati. And with a bee in his bonnet there was my guest on the program today, Benjamin Solar. With a ranting voice like that, one surmises he also has a bee in his throat. Now, there's a reason for this, and it's to do with politics. Yes, politics. This is a special program for me. Because for the first time since I've been presenting this program, I have with me a poet and performer with whom I am in 100% political agreement. Now, I know 3CR is a cool station, decidedly progressive, left-leaning, does magnificent work in supporting oppressed groups in society, giving a voice to the marginalised, like us. That's why I'm a part of it. But uh, listeners to my programs over the last few years may have noticed I have a rather distinct set of political views for which I make nil apology. These political views are those of the group Socialist Alternative, of which I am a member, and whose politics I have held since my first involvement in far-left politics back in 1990. I am therefore proud to welcome to the program today another member of Socialist Alternative. Welcome to the program, Benjamin Solar. Thank you very much. Well, politics. Um, Can you describe for our listeners your involvement in politics? Well, ever since about uh, 2004, I've been, um, I've described myself as a revolutionary socialist and a member of Socialist Alternative. And that's basically, you know, I subscribe to that set of politics because I believe that all the problems in the world stem from class inequality and, you know, essentially capitalism. So my involvement in politics is stems from my, you know, drive to want to overthrow capitalism and to, you know, completely change society, you know, start a new society based on human need, um, where actually I think poetry and art could flourish. My goodness, Ben, that sounds uh, like Karl Marx 
Marx, Marxism, is it? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm a Marxist. Um, uh, the the Marxists of the Trotskyist kind, so. Yes, yes, not, not, not those other kinds like uh, Stalin and Mao and that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay, you did mention also briefly that um, uh, there was a role for the arts and poetry and stuff uh, in all of this, and which I actually would like to talk about that. Uh, later with you but uh, I just wanted to know first of all like how how did you actually get involved in the arts in the first place anyway well I was a drama student at a performing arts high school up until 2004 when I finished school Um, so I was kind of already interested in like performing and that that kind of thing but it was probably like high school English um, towards the last couple of years I got interested in literature and um, you know the kind of things that some people might um, stick their nose up at, um, like Stephen King and kind of horror. I was obsessed with horror films and I still am. And I was kind of interested in writing from that perspective. And from that and then my involvement in revolutionary politics, I kind of became interested in saying radical things through um, through writing short stories and eventually novels. Yeah, and um, you were saying about uh, people sticking their nose up at stuff, so the genres, you know. It's funny because, I mean, in some academic circles, the genres uh, are very much revered now, uh, but there'd be other academic circles that would really look down on them. Uh, And then the fact, as you say, uh, being a revolutionary socialist uh, does kind of connect all of that because I, um, I guess you're trying to be accessible in your writing. Yeah, I don't want to. I want my writing to be read by and agreed upon by a whole bunch of range of people, not just like academics or people who consider themselves versed in kind of the more impenetrable literature. Um, and so, so I think things like horror and genre fiction and um, film as well um, actually do have politics. They're not just like, um, triv- they don't discuss just trivial matters and they actually relate to people's experiences in everyday society. Yeah. And, uh, I'd go further than you, and I think I'd say if you did get approbation from the higher echelons of academia, you must be doing something wrong. Uh, Anyway, never mind. Um, (laughs) What about specifically poetry um, and performance poetry, the use of your voice? Um, How did all that start for you? Well, for me, my, like... I have an interest in writing poetry as opposed to, say, just fiction or short fiction because, especially performance poetry, because I can actually, like, express express my voice and that's, you know, an extra element that you can't actually achieve on the page. I find that um, really fulfilling for me, especially someone who is quite prone to being very angry at the system we live in. And Well, yes, that's the reason that you're on the spoken word program, Ben, so that you can actually use your voice. So um, what are we waiting for? Let's have more poetry from you. They're hooked on that drug of war, shaking and sweating, they cannot go without it, can never forget it. Like a cabal of addicts conspiring for their next fix, they plot and plan excuses. And no matter how many times it fucks us up, screws them up, no matter how many times they overdose, no matter how many times their heart stops beating, they start evicting or downsizing, they crave the smell of burning flesh, lives falling, defences failing. They look for bruised and battered regions, soft spots with veins that rise to the top. They open it up and let the blood flow. Then there's the enablers, the forgivers, those who fall for their lies or excuses, those sweet mass smiles so they can once again abuse us, 
they plead and say this one is different. But the blood flows just like the others. We ship off again another band of brothers with the story rewritten, but the ending the same. We're caught in their cycle, sucked into their game. They're hooked on that drug of war, shaking and sweating. sweating. We keep feeding it or thinking we can fix it, but there's nothing to save or waste to revive. It needs to be starved so we can survive. Benjamin Soller, today's guest on 3CR Spoken Word. Well, Ben, um, what do you think are the prospects for a genuinely socialist society today? Well, I'm a bit more optimistic than I think most people would be in Australian society today, but I think, you know, we look at the economic crisis in America and Europe and the revolutions that happened throughout 2011, and we see that, you know, the prospect for a different kind of society, one focused on, like, democracy from ordinary people is much more likely. I think that, um, you know, economic crisis actually drives people toward, you know, wanting revolt, wanting to revolt and wanting to have a completely new society. So, And they're definitely it, asking um, the right questions about, you know, having to change the society from what it is right now. Uh, do you think that um, there's much political focus in the way that the protesters have been approaching this, like, around the world? I think in the beginning, like... It, it does start from a raw kind of discontent with the way society runs, whether it's, you know, just their day-to-day lives are, are radically changed by the fact that, you know, rising unemployment, rising living costs, it actually makes, you know, living in the old way kind of much harder and it actually, like, impels them to, you know, revolt and to, to change things, and which is what we're seeing in America at the moment. Mm. But um, I guess the point I'm, I'm getting at is that... Uh is it just revolt that can can create the sort of society we really want, or does there have to be like some very specific um, political outlook or set of politics that can actually get us to that stage? Well, I think that kind of ordinary people kind of uh, spark the the beginning of change, but I think that you know the the role so- socialists can play in this struggle is to kind of articulate and argue for the way forward. Um, and which isn't to say that like ordinary people can't come up with many of these own ideas themselves, but it's kind of um, a way of cohering and sharpening these things. Yeah. Um, and so in all of this, I mean, let's, you know, let's say we get to our genuinely socialist society, and you did allude to it briefly before. Uh, what do you think is the role of art um, in a socialist society? Well, firstly, I think that um, art and literature and all those kind of things would just be like more prevalent in a socialist society. I think that uh, capitalism stifles creativity and art, Um, you know, even in the simple way that it stifles people's um, ability to dedicate time to writing and art. You know, people spend so much time having to work in, um, you know, really unfulfilling uh, jobs like the job I used to work in. Oh, more of that and on, apparently. Yeah. Um, but uh, before that, uh, I believe you have a uh, rather interestingly titled poem there, which I, I'd like to hear, The Red Tram. Yeah, I'd love to read it. I woke up late like I meant to, but regretted it as soon as I did. I didn't feel any more awake as the thought of heading to work induced a coma in my brain that not even my shower could wash away. And I knew I'd feel like I was chasing time for the rest of the day. On the tram, there was a kind of haze floating amongst the passengers, all crammed in. I'd expected less, as most people ought to be at work by now, but it occurred to me that I wasn't the only one with the same idea. All around Melbourne, many of us had woken up late, preferring to chase the day in return for a little more sleep. I bet 
they resented us all for being slack and unmotivated. But what would it be like if we didn't turn up at all? What if the tram driver was later than us all? Would it stand idle? Would it drive itself? What if we were floating away and the tram turned the other way? We'd be more than a little late. The tram would suddenly turn red, an invisible paintbrush coating it all over, and the red tram would glide away from the city to wherever we wanted to go, not work. That was for sure. The city would have a hole in it. The latecomers nowhere to be seen. Not enough to serve coffee. Half the call center's empty. And in my fantasy, I would drive the tram with my mind as I read a paperback in the back corner. It would turn and cross tracks because that's what I wanted it to do. I'd drive it to Maribyrnong despite the network of tracks not connecting like that. I wanted to do something productive, more than anything I could do in the city. The detention centre fences would rise on the horizon. They'd be too strong for bare hands, but maybe not bare hands. But a red tram in my control could plough through and set them free. The wondrous eyes of people who'd never been free would climb on the tram and come with me. You see, they'd never lived a life where someone's boot wasn't on their back from home to here. There was always some army, some occupation, some form of detention or isolation. In my red tram, we would float further away. I would look back and see screens of spreadsheets and databases floating over Melbourne's skyline like holograms and reminders of what I was running away from. But soon the tram would stop and let people off. People would slink back to reality and soon it would just be me alone in my red red tram fantasy. It would be lonely unless what I wanted it to be. And finally, I would get off. The tram would dissolve with my little dream. I would get back on a tram back to the city. This new grey tram would grate and resist every kilometre back to work. And there were still too many hours in the day to go. I would play loud music in my ears, drowning out the horrible sounds... The guitar strings would pull my nerves tight, bringing back into focus reality, but my mind was still on that tram that rode me out of the city. of Egypt's greatest singer, Um Kaltum. You're on 3CR. This is the spoken word program presented to you today by San Tokatsati. And my guest on the program today is Benjamin Sola, who has been keeping an eye on what's been going on in Egypt lately. I sent my heart to Egypt. They won't let it beat here. Trapped, my body sits between bland walls, my mind escapes. That's... St- 
That square stretches as far as the eye can see. People fill it up like Liberation Sea. The pulse of our dreams throb against electric images emitting real life from the screen. Faces are like flares, a beacon to a place with no fear. So many of them, they will not stop until they hold every single part of their lives in their very own hands. This chance at a new world is broadcast with tweets and streams. You just itch to be there for the window to suck you in, carry you along, optic fibre into the real square so we can support them, not with tweets, but with our very real feet. I hope that my eyes that travel across the sea are seen and others follow me. We all have these hopes and dreams. One's opposed, call it a disease. Dreams will spread. I hope we catch it, bring it back. We're fueled by our screens, breaking bland walls down, chanting, I want to be free. I want to be free. And when my heart comes back from Egypt, I hope a bit of Egypt comes back with me. Benjamin Sola, today's guest on 3CR Spoken Word. Ben, you are a member of the working class. What's it like to be a member of the working class? Under capitalism, I think being a member of the working class is a bit uh, shitty. Can I say that? Um, Yes. In fact, you took the word right out of my um, bum, mouth. (laughs) Yeah, uh, my experience being a worker, you know, primarily an admin worker has been, you know, what I would describe as frustrating, uh, not being able to, you know, express myself, you know, have any control over, you know, what I do with my time. And the fact that I want to actually, like, pursue poetry, writing further, and it's being, you know, held back by the fact I have to, like, work eight hours a day in some shitty job means that, you know, it holds me back. You There's, seem to describe something there, um, the lack of control at work. And uh, didn't our friend Karl Marx um, have a, a term for it, alienation or something? Yeah, in some of Marx's manuscripts, like these unpublished ones that you can find online now, um, there was this great quote. Uh, I'll probably butcher it, but it was like, um, in his work, a worker feels outside himself, and outside his work he feels himself, and about how you know a worker can't actually like express themselves yes that's right yeah i know that one yeah well well you can express yourself through poetry anyway uh you've got something about uh your last job there so let's hear that my morning coffee stretches my eyes over a computer screen like pig skin on a drum the dead coerced into life and i like your status retweet your thought in the search for life outside trying to be heard over the beat of our own drums The beat we shuffle to, the shredders we recoil to, printers we groan to, and manage a mantra we store in our empty heads. We pretend we're not dead. We fidget in cubicles, clawing on the inside of coffin lids, hoping someone notices we've been buried alive, and one day we'll rise as one when the clock strikes five. And now that my leash is cut, I wonder, shuffle aimless, I wonder, how much of my brain have they eaten did I get out alive? Benjamin Soler's Lament of Alienation at Work. So, what do we do about it? Revolution is not a music festival, but an uprising against the bosses by the workers. So unless the last band on the bill is the bourgeoisie playing their infamous track, Reaction, and the proletariat are not cheering but taking over the stage, then I don't think you can call a music festival a revolution. Of course, the middle class, the army, and those on neither side would be the security that bounces. And the question is, do they stop the stage diving or help us ride to the top? 
and the audience of workers would not just call another band or move to another stage, but we would usurp all bands, raise the pit to the level of the stage, and suddenly it will be the audience running the show, and it will be the band, the bourgeoisie, wallowing in mosh pit mud, forced to beat each other up in a wall of death to an angry version of working class hero. Gee, he's really angry, this guy. Um, The walls of the studio are just shaking um you're on 3cr this is the spoken word program not the shouted word well shouted word program today now um look you know we socialists are often accused of being obsessed with bosses under capitalism unhealthy obsession that which uh, we wear as a badge of pride so there anyway um ben i believe you have something to say to your boss dear boss boss with no name no soul no life I am writing to politely inform you that during my time of employment, I didn't do any fucking work. So all your attempts to ground me into the dirt ultimately failed like that tender you tore your hair out writing whilst I posted Facebook statuses about how much of a dickhead you were, instead of doing anything with that spreadsheet you thought was so complex. For your information, there is no such thing as needing to calibrate the multi-dimensional splices in a spreadsheet, and your attempts to pretend you knew what I was talking about nodding your head like a bobblehead on a dashboard highlight your need to actually know what's going on rather than just talk and have stupid meetings. Regrets? I have none. Except those times I did do a little work just to keep my job because it didn't matter anyway. So for future reference, you should have googled my fucking name and you would have seen just how little I cared and how much of a thorn I was. I blogged about it. Thanks for the free stationery, free printing and all the lunches where I always ordered the most expensive thing on the menu. Yours sincerely, the guy who got palms out of your shit job. You're on 3CR, this is the Spoken Word program, and that was the voice of Benjamin Solar. So this poem um, is called They Kill Them, and I wrote it uh, last year. It was inspired by some of the resistance going on inside Australia's detention centres. Um, I think that, you know, one of the things that made people kind of sympathise with the refugees last year was, you know, showing their humanity by the fact that they were, you know, actually fighting back and not just sitting there being victims of this horrible policy so um this poem is called they kill them they kill them in the end they kill them they push them but hope they don't get out freeing homes from foundations liberating limbs from lives and consciousness with a cackle of bombs raining down they kill them in the end they kill them They cut the queue, shut the gate, force another route. They watch them sink on the way. If they make it this far, they kill them from the inside. Push them so far, they want to die. Fragrant poison slide down their throat. Choke. They want to choke. Or bring the razor wire right to their skin. They cannot wait indefinite years. Mattresses all around. Jump. They told them to jump. They kill them. In the end, they kill them. Or at least hire them, bury them in deserts, behind fences, ignored and forgotten, eroding their humanity away. Unless. They can't be pacified, we join them, pushing the fences wide. They can't kill them. In the end, they can't kill them. Them and us rip these cages from their foundations, liberate their lives with their limbs. They'll starve, force you to want them to eat. 
force you to take to the streets. They'll show you their scars to show you they're alive. They can't kill them. In the end, they can't kill them. Their stories won't go away. Those images won't go away. The very fact that they're human will not go away. This struggle with us, with rays of wire cast aside, will not die. They can't kill them. In the end, they can't kill them. Benjamin Sola, today's guest on 3CR Spoken Word. Well, uh, 2011 was quite a historic year as far as protests around the world goes, and here in Melbourne with the Occupy movement in City Square, we had our own slice of the excitement. Of course, uh, Benjamin Sola was there. So it seems appropriate uh, that Ben should close his set today with his piece about the Occupy movement. Well, thanks, Ben, so much for sharing this special program with me today, and YFTR, yours for the revolution. Thank you very much. Others. Other people, other workers, other working classes in other countries. Others in other eras, explosive then. Others in so-called other crises, explosive now. Others hold the line. Others draw the real line, expose a real divide. And when we wash away the fake lines, they are not others. We stand with them and hold the line. We stand and cross legal and static lines. Leashes too short, queues too long. We draw new lines and hold them. We need to hold our lines. They will push with their thin blue line, but we must hold the line. Hold the line. Hold the line. Hold the line. Inspired by lines, long crossed, real lives on the line. Rosa Parks at the front of the bus, holding the line, never steps back behind. In Tahrir, Egyptians hold their lines, don't back down and accept old lines. In Oakland, rubber bullets, riot cops, tear gas cannot stop them from holding the line. And they tell us when we waver to hold our line, keep linking all the lines, even as ours fray and weaken. We hold our line to push forward next time. Next time, next time we cross their line, our lines will be thicker, stronger, and there's thinner, weaker. Their lines will corrode and splinter, and ours will grow stronger, more diverse, like layers of mixed metals entwined so strong that next time, next time we don't break, fired up from the last time we held the line, and men in blue, thin, Blue lines dragged us and we became matches flicked along the ground like flint and chucked our bodies in flames shooting out into the street and setting people's consciences alight. We will never forget the last time we hold the line. Hold the line. Hold the line. Hold the line. A quick word about some live poetry gigs in Melbourne. The Dan O'Connell Hotel Carlton has poetry on every Saturday afternoon and Passionate Tongues is at the Brunswick Hotel every second Monday night. Both have open mics if you'd like to try your hand at sharing your work with others, or you can just go to listen. Google Pam's Melbourne Poetry for all details. 3CR Spoken Word is on every Thursday morning, 9 to 9.30, 8.55 on the AM dial, and web-streamed on www.3cr.org.au. Until next time, this is Santo Cazzati signing off and shutting down.